Welcome to the Extraordinary Educators Podcast. Your hosts, Danielle Sullivan, National Director at Curriculum Associates, and Sari Labaris, Social Communications Manager at Curriculum Associates, are here to share actionable tips, best practices, and success stories to improve your classroom and drive student learning. Enjoy, and thanks for listening. This is Danielle. Hey everyone, it's Sari. And welcome to the Extraordinary Educator Podcast. Each week we share best practices, ideas, and stories from extraordinary educators to help you thrive. And this week we are super stoked to have another extraordinary educator joining us, Olivia Ruggerillo. Ruggerillo. Ruggerillo, all right. <laughs> is that Italian? Yeah. I am Italian as well, but you can't tell because I look Irish. I'm a little <laughs> bit of both. So, Olivia, super excited for you to join us. Can you start by introducing yourself, um, you know, your name, city, state, all the things, how long you've been teaching? Okay, so I'm Olivia Ruggerello. I teach kindergarten in Woodstock, Georgia at Johnston Elementary School. I've been teaching for six years, taught kindergarten for three, and first grade for three. So, primary grades are my thing. Oh, wow. I taught kindergarten for a minute, I think. I never ventured into the world of kindergarten, but I did teach first grade for two years. So, you know, close, but not, there's nothing like kindergarten. It's just, texts are so big. And (laughs) so it's really, yeah, that's amazing. So can you describe your classroom in three words? So my classroom in three words, I would have to say family engaging and fun I mean I guess yeah that's great so three I mean there's so many there's so many more words right but those are the themes um so expand on that a little bit what do you mean by family engaging and fun so family I like to involve the parents in with the classroom I like to invite them in for mystery reader things like that and I also just create I like to create a family vibe within my class so you know, we are a family. That's try, what I try to tell my students. I want them to think that, you know, it's okay to get upset with each other, but at the end of the day, we still love each other because we are together for 180 days, and it is important. And they're going to be together till fifth grade, so. That's amazing. What about the engaging and fun? Engaging and fun, they kind of go hand in hand. Um, I really think that learning is fun, and I try to instill that in my students by giving them opportunities where they are always engaged in learning and that they're still having fun, and at the end of the day, they can tell their parents what we did and that it was fun, and then they still take away from it in an academic area. So great, so important. So let's dig into, we're interested in some of your amazing small group planning, small group instruction. Like it's, that's such like a buzzy word, right? Everybody is supposed to know how to teach in small groups. So what does that mean to you? So I'm in kindergarten, like I said, and in kindergarten, most of our instruction is in small group. So I, the beginning of the year, it's just, we hit the ground running in small group and start with fun centers basically, so that they understand the procedures first. So 
we're just doing stuff that they're playing for the first two weeks, but then we are incorporating all those academic skills right after that to kind of build upon ourselves, to just add on time so that we're still doing exactly what we're supposed to be doing, but then we are learning for the rest of the year. But at the beginning, we start with fun stuff that way that they're totally focused. How do you group your students to start off? Um, in the beginning, I do not group them by ability or what they need to work on. I just want to get a feel for what they know because there is so much assessment at the beginning of the year in kindergarten, and it's all individual for the most part. So what I do is I just let them work with a group. It's usually their table group, but it's an assigned group for sure. It's not just a free-for-all. I want to talk a little bit more and dive into the procedures that you mentioned, right? So just a, you know, a few details that I think a lot of folks will find helpful, like how many students are in each small group? Does that change throughout the year? And then how do you, first of all, create those procedures that you envision in your classroom? And then how do you roll those out to your four and five-year-olds in, in the beginning of the year? And how do they know yeah. what to do yeah. <laughs> without running into each other? So at the beginning of the year, we start with just model, model, model in kindergarten. Everything we do is modeling for the students what is expected because for some of them, it's their first time in a school setting at all. Not all of them go to pre-K and it's important for them to understand what's right and wrong in school. So we model as a teacher and then next, the students get to model for each other because I think that's so important that students can learn from their peers. And do you keep the groups the same all year or do you change the groups? No, I change the groups frequently, actually. they It just depends on what students need to be working on, especially in reading groups. Those change all of the time based on their reading level. I like to keep them similar. That way their centers are differentiated for what they're working on. And same goes with math. If there's a skill that I notice a lot of students are missing, then I'll group them together so that I can pull them when I need they come to my center that we work on that skill but another group could be working on something completely different so how do they know the physical like where to go do you have things laid out on your rug like how do you actually teach them how to transition into the small groups yes so every day for centers for math and reading I have like a center board and they look very similar and it just shows each group where to go and there's pictures with the words so that way they know exactly where they're supposed to go and they're numbered so all of my baskets are numbered in the room there's one two three and four and then number five in math is me and number five in reading is my pair pro so they know exactly where to go there's a picture of us on there and there's a picture of each basket and what's inside and that changes weekly depending on the center the baskets are also right at the front of the room and there's a reading bookshelf and then there's a math bookshelf so they know exactly which side is which. And do, you, and do you set timers? I do not. Um, it's just it works out the way that there is a block of time that's our center time. But I actually don't have my kids rotate in centers. Mm -hmm. I assign them two activities that are either in their basket or it's another area in the room. And I try to spread out all of the activities throughout the room so that no two groups are very close together because then they kind of get distracted within the other group. Those are some great best practices. I think you touched a lot about like the physical setup of your classroom, right? You have the two bookshelves, you have the bins labeled, you try to spread them out. Any other best practices or tips 
thinking about if a teacher were to implement this now or even classroom setup next year, um, anything else you do that really allows the flow and details to work out nicely? Um, I think that it's really important for your room to kind of be spread out and not try to group all of your centers together. So my students know to go get the basket and then move to a table far away. That's just something at the beginning of the year I really try to tell them over and over. We don't sit by another group. You know, this basket goes to this table or this basket's on the carpet. Um, just spreading it out and it's definitely possible in any classroom to do centers even if your classroom configuration is a lot smaller but it's still possible you can just I love how it's you have the baskets as portable centers too because sometimes I know you teach kindergarten but other teachers say a middle school educator is looking to do centers in their classroom and those kids are much bigger, but they also should be spread out. But I like that the basket allows you to have a flexibility in seating too. So if kids want to work on the floor, they can as long as they're away from other groups. But how, who gets to choose where they work? How do you decide that? So some groups are kind of assigned to a certain area. They just get their basket and go there um, for reading. I have a write the room center and they know it's down this one hallway by the backpacks. That's the only place you can go because all of the cards are up on the wall that they have to write. And same with the writing center, there's a table back there that they have to go to. And then pocket chart, which is they're matching CVC words to pictures or they're spelling CVC words. They know the pocket chart has to stay on the carpet, so they know they have to stay there. Wow, so it sounds like you actually have a lot of different routines that you're teaching them at the beginning of the year, and it's great that your students know that, mm -hmm. like even all the things you just mentioned about the pocket chart has to stay on the floor. Yes. Like that's like, <laughs> <laughs> don't move the pocket chart. I think research shows there are so many benefits to small group instruction. We could go on and on just talking about the research, but what have you found being a kindergarten teacher that are some of the benefits to your students by doing this in your classroom? I think it's so beneficial because in kindergarten they come to you on so many different levels. I mean, you have students who have never been in school before and then you have students who've gone to pre-K and then transitional kindergarten. So they are on totally different reading levels, totally different levels in math and it's just important to meet their needs and their focus is so much higher when they're in a small group and they're looking at you and they're not looking around at all of their peers. How do you plan for all of this? Every week I think about what went well and what didn't go well throughout the week in our phonics instruction and our math instruction. I look at their lessons on I Ready Past and see, you know, what are we not passing? And then I just decide, I guess, what skills we need to go over again. So their centers that they're working on independently in groups are skills they've already learned. They're just practicing them. That way they can stay focused while I'm working with a small group. So that small group instruction is stuff that they might not have learned yet or they really need to work on still. But what they're doing in their groups outside of me is work they already, they should know how to do it, so they are highly focused. That's great. I mean, honestly, I attempted to do small group instruction many times when I was a teacher, and the way you described it made it possible. Like, I can see in my head all of the centers. I can see how your students are working. So that's great. And maybe I'd be able to have more organization in my classroom. Yeah, thank you for all of these yeah. tips. It's super helpful. <laughs> um, is there anything else you want to add about small group instruction? No, I mean, I just make it fun also. Like, I like to keep them themed. Mm -hmm. 
-hmm. Like if there is, you know, something going on in the month, maybe themed that way. Or if you notice your kids really like a certain theme, then theme all of your centers that way because it keeps them engaged. That's great. So we have some fun questions to ask you. All right, here we go. So if you could have one superpower, what would it be? I guess to fly so I could see the world anytime I wanted. It's a good one. Yeah. All right. Coffee or tea? It depends. I'm from Georgia, so if it's sweet tea, then that's what I want. All right. <laughs> What's with sweet tea? <laughs> I don't know. It's just I mean, ingrained. it's really good, but oh my gosh, it's so sweet, right? It is. Yeah, it is. It's really sweet. Okay, so if it's sweet tea, then we, but you also drink coffee, too? Yeah, I do like okay. coffee. Yeah. What classroom supply couldn't you live without? You can pick a few if one is too hard. <laughs> um, definitely something to write with. It doesn't have to be a pencil. can be anything. Just something for them to be able to get their thoughts down on paper, whether it's their thoughts in math or in reading or in writing, just so that they are taking those thoughts out of their head and getting them out. And what is your favorite thing about teaching? I just love seeing all of the growth in my students throughout the year, academic and emotionally. They just grow so much every single year, and it's great to see. This has been wonderful. Thank you so much for sharing all of your really amazing procedures and um, the way that you organize your classroom and small group instruction. It's been very valuable. So unfortunately, that's all the time we have today. Uh, but we will definitely um, Make sure that we have anything of interest in some of the research that you referenced. We can put that in the show notes on the small group instruction and benefits of small group instruction. And make sure that you follow us on all the things. And how can they follow us again? Yes, yeah, so you can find us on Instagram at myiready, M-Y-I-R-E-A-D-Y, and on Twitter at Curriculum Associates. And also subscribe and share the podcast. So if you like what you hear, we'd love to hear from you and any ideas that you have or of future topics. But until then, be you, be true, be extraordinary. This podcast is produced by Curriculum Associates and is the copyrighted material and intellectual property of Curriculum Associates.